Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Thank you for that. Some of you responded with good morning, some happy new year. It doesn't matter. You responded, so I appreciate that. It's nice to know that you're here. And hey, just a big congratulations to all of you on perfect attendance this year. Well done. I'm so proud of you. Let's see how long we can keep this going. Way to go. Uh, we'll give you your pin sometime later. Um, I want to get into our series again. We're going back to Acts. We pushed pause on that so that we could do our Christmas series, The Impact of Christmas. Loved doing that. That was so much fun. I learned a lot studying for that. And now we're going to get back into the book of Acts. We'll be in this for a while together. We'll be in Acts chapter 6 today. But before we go there, let me give you an update on our Take Back Black Friday offering. You may recall that we were raising $40,000, I think it was, for a pavilion for Jubilee Community Church to help with their ministry and their outreach that they do in North St. Louis. We were also trying to raise $45,000 for audio and print Bibles and motorcycles for church planters in Kenya. And so if you do the quick math, I think that's about $85,000 we were hoping to raise. And um, I got an updated total last night at midnight that says, I know, right? That's the dedication of our staff. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate it. That says we have reached $100,480.25. So praise God and thank you for your generosity. We know it's God that provides the gift of giving, and it's you that are obedient to that and give. And by doing that, you are supporting some incredible things that that aren't necessarily going to directly benefit you, but they're going to have a huge impact on other people. The pavilion in North St. Louis and the ministry that will be done there and the people that are part of this church that continue to serve with Jubilee, that's just going to be so neat to see that completed for them. And then the work in in Kenya, not only are we going to be providing for this ministry over there, but in a couple of months, Pastor John and myself and a couple others from First Free are going to go over and see how we can expand our partnership with them and what more can we do and, and teams can we bring and how can we leverage this relationship to do more good for the kingdom. So you're, you're really sowing seeds of investment into the future of what God's going to do in these two places. And, and I couldn't be more excited um, and thankful for how generous this church is and just reaching deep and giving sacrificially to provide for something that we believe God is doing in the world that we get to be a part of. And it's, it's exciting. And so you have you've just given yet again so generously and faithfully to that. So thank you. Thank you. It's really incredible. Um, Christmas now being officially over and New Year's here. We're thinking about the new year. And today we're going to be in uh, a very interesting passage of scripture for the new year. We didn't really plan it this way. It just sort of lined up. This is the passage we're going to be talking about today. And um, well, let me start us off with a question. If I were to tell you that being a part of this church would be like putting crosshairs on your back, a target on your back, and the world and the devil would be out to get you, and probably many of you would lose your lives for being a part of this church. What, what, what would you think about that? How would that make you feel? If I were to tell you that by sitting in this service right now, you are literally taking your life into your hands, and it's possible that you could lose your life because you were a part of this church and this service, how would that make you feel? Would it make you feel fearful? Oh, by the way, if you're new, welcome to First Free. We're so glad you're here. This is the message that Jesus had for his disciples. Now, not right away. He waited a little bit to to fill them in on this. 
But we're going to start in John chapter 16 today. It's going to set up our story in Acts chapter 6. So we're going to do the prequel before we get to Acts and see the impact of Jesus' words. He's going to give a message to his followers that's pretty sobering. Here's what he says in John chapter 16, verse 1. He says, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. Oh, now you tell us, Jesus. You finally let us know that this is a a, a life, not just a life-altering move to follow you, but a life-threatening move. But let's be honest, they weren't ready for it earlier. They needed more time with Jesus. They needed time to be able to see that he was the real deal, that, that following him was worth it, that it was worth the cost that their faith could possibly bring. Jesus knew that hard times were coming for them, and he didn't want to, them to be mistaken about the fact that they were going to go through some difficult circumstances. Some of them would lose their lives. Some of the people who would take their lives would claim they were doing it on behalf of God. But he says they don't really know him. They've never really known him or me. Do you think this would bring about some fear? How would that make you feel? To be told by joining this movement, be a part of this group, you could lose your life. It's a frightening thing. As I think about 2023... And even looking back at 2022, the last couple of years, there have been a lot of things to be afraid of. There's one word that I think could characterize our world over the last two, three years. Fear would be pretty high up on the list. And we have all sorts of different reasons for being afraid. As we look toward 2023, we have have reasons for fear. Uh, if you, if you pay attention to the news, if you listen to, to podcasts, you, you see what's going on in the world, and you think, wow, there's a lot wrong with the world. There's a lot messed up in the world, and there's reason to be fearful. And all of us have different triggers for fear. We have things that we fear on a global scale, on a national scale, on a personal scale. Uh, many of us fear losing relationships, or, or we fear that meeting at work that we're dreading this week, or, or we fear uh, broken trust, or we fear awkward conversations, or, or we fear all kinds of things in our life, physical or, or emotional harm. Know that God doesn't want us to be afraid. In fact, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. But these two things seem to be in contrast with each other because Jesus is saying, hey, by the way, if you follow me, bad things could happen. You got to be ready for that. I don't want you to abandon your faith. And yet, as fear-inducing as that may be, Paul says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's the spirit you should have when you face all of these challenges. How can that be? How can we be people that look at 2023 and say, whatever challenges come my way, I'm going to have faith in God and I'm not going to be overcome by fear. We're going to look at this through the eyes of a man named Stephen today in Acts chapter 6. Stephen is a man who gave his life because of his faith in God. And here's how I want to do this. 
Stephen's story is made up of a few different interesting parts. We first get to know Stephen a little bit. We see the, the climax of his situation where there's uh, critical accusations that are made against him. And then he gives this long message, one of the longest sermons given in the Bible to us. And at the end of that, we then see the conclusion of his story. And what I want to do today is read to you kind of an overview of Stephen's story and talk about a few things we can learn from him about how our faith can overcome our fear. And then next week, we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into his actual message. So we're going to jump around a little bit. I'm going to put these up on the screen for you to follow along as we do our initial reading of scripture. But then later on in the message, I'll jump around to a lot of different passages. We're not going to put all those on the screen. So you may want to write these down or just have your Bibles open and turn to them as we go. Starting in Acts chapter six, verse eight, Luke says this, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the laws of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? Stephen then goes on this long message and we're going to jump right to the end where he says, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did. And so do you name one prophet. Your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens. Opened and the son of man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Let's pause for a moment here. And just pray. Ask God to speak to us through his word. Father, this is a challenging story to hear about Stephen, who is martyred for his faith. There's a lot that we can learn from him, God. I pray that you'd help us to open up our hearts and our minds to what you want to teach us today. Lord, I pray that you would give us some insights that will help us to walk closer with you in 2023, to have a stronger faith 
to not be overcome by fear. Let us learn something from Stephen's life and Stephen's sacrifice today, God, so that we can live better for you and represent you well on this earth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. How to have faith over fear. How to have faith over fear. That's the title of the message today, what we're gonna talk about. And if we can just learn a little bit from Stephen's life here, we'll have some ideas of how we can have faith over fear. It's not everything, a lot of answers we could talk about to the question of how can we have faith over fear. But this is certainly a good start that's gonna give us some things to work on. I'm gonna give you four points that you can write down or, or just remember that we see extrapolated from Stephen's life and experience here that I think will give us a good start to the new year. We'll start with this one. Start with a close walk with God. Start with a close walk with God. We see this in verse eight when we're introduced to Stephen, a man who Luke says was full of God's grace and power. He was full of God's grace and God's power. That doesn't come without a close relationship with God, a close walk with God. He was full of it. He exuded it. Everyone could tell that man. In fact, you see later that they couldn't stand against the wisdom with which he spoke because of the Holy Spirit that was present in his life. He had a close walk with God that allowed this to happen. He didn't just have a little bit of God's power and grace. He, had, he was full of it, the Bible says. God's power, God's grace, or God's grace and God's power. I want to talk about those two things a little bit. I spent some time this week looking into those. And, and what does that mean? What does that look like for us? Let me take you to one passage of Scripture that Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4. Because Peter's going to talk about the grace that God gives you. God gives you grace. Now, it won't be immediately evident when I read this passage, but I promise you this is all about God giving you grace for a very specific purpose. Here's what he says in 1 Peter 4, 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. What's going on there? The word for gift there is actually an offshoot of the word grace. In fact, there's one version that translates uh, when it says, God has uh, given you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. One version translates that in a more literal way, which is you are stewards of God's varied grace. The idea is that if you're a follower of Jesus, God gives you grace to be a steward of in this world. God gives you grace to be a distributor of his grace into this world. He doesn't just give you grace for you. He gives you grace that you can pass on to others. It's like if you've got a bucket and it's got a bunch of holes in it, and you pour a bunch of water and it just kind of leaks out. It doesn't do any good. But if you've got a bucket and it's sealed on the bottom and you pour water into it so much that it overflows and there are buckets around it and the water starts to flow into those buckets as well. That's the picture that you should have in mind of God giving grace to you. It's giving grace to you so that it overflows into others, not so that it leaks out the bottom. God gives you grace to be a steward of his grace in this world. What kind of grace does God give? Well, Peter tells us here that it's what we call spiritual gifts. It's the idea that God gives every single person who believes in Jesus as a part of his grace, some kind of gifting or multiple gifts that are spiritual in nature that allow you to be God's steward of grace to other people, to serve other people on behalf of God. In Stephen's case, we see that he had spiritual gifts for miracles. 
He was able to do healings and signs. There were only a handful of people we know of in the New Testament who had that ability. That's one of the spiritual gifts, and that's what Stephen had. You probably don't have that spiritual gift. There's a lot of other ones. Peter tells us that every single one of us, if we're a follower of Jesus, has been the recipient of God's grace in the form of some spiritual gifting that we are then to be a steward of and use to bless and benefit other people, to serve other people. And so Stephen was full of God's grace because he had a close walk with God. We also see that he's full of God's power. I looked up this a little bit. Colossians 1.11 says, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power. It's the same word. So you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. The idea there being that you have power to get through the difficult times in life. Endurance and patience. And it's God's power that enables you to get through that. And so Paul says, we pray that you would have that power to get through those difficult times. Here's another example in 2 Thessalonians. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power, same word, to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. That's very interesting. That Paul would be praying for God to give you power to do the good things that your faith prompts you to do. Good things that God has also given you grace to be able to do. There is God's grace and there is God's power. And Stephen was full of it because he had a close walk with God. You've got to start there with a close walk with God. Tapping in to that power source, that grace source. Not just for you, but so it can overflow to others. And that leads us to our next point. The second thing, which is be willing hands for God's work. Be willing hands for God's work. You know, Stephen took a big risk in getting out there and doing those miracles and preaching about Jesus. That was not a safe thing for him to do, especially in this climate. As we see from the story, it was a very dangerous thing for him to do. And yet he was willing to get out there and do God's work to be that steward of God's grace, to use God's power to do good things for other people, not to draw attention to himself, but to draw attention to God, even at great risk to himself, but he was willing to do it. Ephesians chapter two says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So, Just to recap and get this straight, God gives you grace so that you can be a distributor of his grace and do good for other people in his name. God gives you power so that you can do the good things your faith prompts you to do. And here we learn that God has planned good things for you to do. So there are good things that God wants you to do and be involved in, and he gives you all the grace and all the power to do it, but you have to be willing to do it. That's why the author of Hebrews tells us, hey, Keep reminding each other, encouraging each other to do good. That's why Paul over and over has to remind the churches, God has given you these gifts to serve each other, to serve other people. That's what God wants you to do. You know, we live in a very interesting day and age coming out of the pandemic where we've become even more isolated, even more separated. We've lost a lot of the community feel that we used to have. Our Western culture for a long time has been very individualistic, but now it's even more so. This week, it was interesting as I was at home a little more, to watch all of the delivery vehicles come through. I mean, there's FedEx and there's UPS and there's DoorDash and there's there's Pizza Hut and there's Amazon and then Amazon again and Amazon again and Amazon again. You know, because I mean, if they do it every hour, they got to keep those things going. 
And it's just, we live in a society now where it's so easy for us to, and I love it, don't get me wrong, to just pull out the phone and be like, I would like Chinese in 30 minutes. And they just deliver it. That's fantastic. But on the other hand, what that's doing to us as a society is it's making it really easy for us to just kind of be insulated and to not interact with other people as much and not be out there stewarding God's grace in the world because we're sort of keeping it all in our own bucket. When in reality, the bucket's got holes in it. It's just kind of leaking out. And so God gives us his grace so that we can be a distributor of that to other people so that we can be willing hands to do his work in the world. For whatever reason, he wants to work through us. He's not doing it all himself. He says, I want you to be my hands and feet in this world. I'm going to give you the grace and the power to do it. I plan things for you to do. You've got to be willing to do it. We've got to be willing to get out there and serve. We've got to be willing to get out of our homes and, and out of our own lives and out of our comfort zone and be willing to step up and, and serve whether it's in this church and other places, every single believer is tasked by God with that mission and given the power to do it. Are we doing it? Are we willing hands for the work that God wants to do through us? James tells us in 417 that it's a sin to know the good you should do and not to do it. We need to do it. Some of you may have seen uh, earlier in the announcements that we're going to do this thing called Feed Nicaragua again which is where we package tens of thousands of meals and send them to Nicaragua for, for people that need food, but also it's done through a Christian ministry. And so they, they get the gospel as a part of this getting the, the meal. And we get to be a part of providing that and putting that together. And I don't know, maybe as you were watching that, if you were here on time for the announcements and you saw that announcement, maybe there was a little part of you that was like, oh man, I should probably be a part of that. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit just saying, hey, this, is, this would be a good thing for you to take a step on. This would be a good way for you to serve and, and, to, and to get out of the house and to do something in my name, something good that's going to benefit other people. You want to have a strong faith? Get involved in serving other people. It'll make your problems seem way less as you focus more of your energy and your time and your resources on serving others and helping them with their problems, which in many cases may be a lot bigger than yours. Be willing hands to do God's work. The third thing I want to mention is to always speak the truth. We see this with Stephen when he speaks some really uncomfortable truths. And he doesn't back away. He doesn't compromise. He doesn't say, let me figure out how we can sort of make this work for you guys, but I'll still kind of keep doing what I'm doing. Why don't we blend these things together? That was a thing a lot of people were doing at this time. They want to take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Judaism and mix them together. That's not what Stephen did. He always spoke the truth. In verse 10, we read, none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. They persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen, brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Now, let me just pause there for a minute to talk about those two accusations because we, we can't let these go. Did Stephen talk about these things? Yeah, he absolutely talked about these things because Jesus talked about these things. But did he say those things exactly? No, that is not what Stephen said. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus never said, I will destroy this temple. Jesus spoke about the destruction of the temple on a couple of different occasions. And in one instance, he says, you see this temple? It's going to be destroyed. He didn't say he would be the one to destroy it. So they're twisting his words 
to be different than what he actually said. On another occasion, he said, if this temple is destroyed, referring to his body, I will bring it back in three days. And so he was talking about himself being the temple in that case. He wasn't talking about him destroying the temple structure that they were referring to. So these men were twisting these words. Stephen spoke the truth, but they twisted it into lies. The other one is the changing of the customs of Moses. Did Jesus change the old customs of Moses? Well, yeah, in a way he fulfilled them. But he didn't, as they say, blaspheme against Moses. Stephen, communicating the words of Jesus, did not blaspheme against Moses. He merely said, hey, the law of Moses, it served its purpose for a period of time. Jesus was the fulfillment of that. Now there's a new covenant that we are under. And the old covenant was for then, and the new covenant is for now. God used that for a period of time, and that was good, and that was necessary. It points to the need for Christ, and now Christ is here. And so we have two areas where Stephen spoke the truth, and because he spoke the truth, he could have great confidence in what he said. They couldn't actually stand against what he really said, so they had to invent lies. They had to twist the words and speak against him. But Stephen could have incredible confidence and incredible trust knowing I spoke the truth in everything that I said. And we should always speak the truth. Now, you've heard me say before, and you've probably heard this phrase before, everything that's said should be true, not everything that's true should be said, right? I mean, there are times where the the toddler should not tell the nice lady that her outfit looks ugly. That doesn't need to be said. It may be true, but it doesn't need to be said. But we should always speak the truth. And when we speak the truth, we can have great confidence in what we're saying. Even if people come back to us and try to twist our words and lie about us, make accusations that aren't true. If we know we spoke the truth, we can have great confidence and great faith in what we're doing. And the the fourth final point flows out of that. It's this. Don't back down when you know it's God's truth. Don't back down when you know it's God's truth. This point can hit a lot of different people in different ways. So let me unpack this a little bit. We're going to dip our toes here into chapter 7. Because next week we're going to look at it in greater detail, the whole message. But after these accusations, and after Stephen gives this long message that he shares on the history of Israel and how we got to this point, he says this. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart. And deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did. And so did you. You, Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one. The Messiah. Whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law. Even though you received it from the hands of angels. Stephen, as you can tell, did not back down when he knew he was speaking the truth. He had incredible confidence incredible faith because he knew he was speaking truth and it was God's truth. And so he didn't back down. I appreciate it so much when there are people who have influence and power who are willing to be open about their faith and speak truth, even when there's a cost involved. I'm sure Stephen understood that there could be a cost to this faith. And yet he was willing to stand up. There are a lot of people that that I know of in this world who are in some kind of industry or or position in life where even though they believe in God and they have faith in Jesus, they are afraid to be outspoken about that because of the impact that could have on their life. And so they're not willing to speak out. 
quietly and privately, they will say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. And I trust in him. But publicly, they keep it on the DL because they think it could hurt their career, their image, their following. It could cost them in some way. I was uh, introduced to a famous YouTube personality a couple weeks ago by my kids. His name is Justin Stewart, but he goes by Jay Stu. Has anyone here heard of Jay Stu? Raise your hand if you've heard of Jay Stu. Okay, I didn't think I'd get too many hands. If you were under 15, you probably would have heard of Jay Stu, okay? Jay Stu does these crazy things where they'll take thousands of dollars and they'll go to stores and they'll get supplies so they can survive a night in the wilderness. Uh, they do filmmaking challenges where they make movies. He makes music. He has a whole crew. He's got seven and a half million subscribers and, and different products that he sells. It's this whole kind of empire that has grown up. And there are a number of these personalities on YouTube who are making tons of money and have huge followings. I mean, their videos will get more views than a lot of TV shows will. And it's incredible what they're able to accomplish. And so my kids have started watching his videos and then they wanted to listen to some of his music. And so, you know, some of these have kind of, the songs are, are goofy and they're funny and they got weird names and it makes me a little skeptical at first. And so like, dad, can we play must have snacks? What? Can we play must have snacks? Well, what are you talking about? So we play must have snacks. It's a song about the need for snacks which I agree with. I support that initiative. But it's this whole thing about I, I must have snacks. It's a requirement chilling in my environment. I must have snacks. And, and he goes on this whole thing. And then you get to certain parts where you get lyrics where you're like, wait a minute. He's talking about God there. How, how did he work that in? And we play another song of his. And it's like, well, he's talking about Jesus and Christ and bowing to Christ. And then you play another one. He's talking about sin. Like, well, what's going on here? So I look up his lyrics. And I, I started to see in his music that he's working faith into his songs, which is really cool. Yeah, you didn't see it in his videos, but then in his songs, it's like, wow, there's all this faith stuff in there. So I looked him up uh, this week and I looked up an interview with him. I found an interview with him that I thought was really, really interesting. And I want to share a bit of this with you. Remember, this is a guy super talented, seven and a half million subscribers and, and going up every week. I mean, super popular with kids. He's got a huge following. He's making lots of money. He's got this whole production crew now. We watched a video a couple of nights ago that, that my kids asked if we could watch. And it's this thing where they make short films as part of a competition. And the stuff this guy created looked like it could have been a feature movie. It was amazing. So well done. So gripping and engaging. Here is what he said recently in an interview. The beginning of our YouTube career didn't express much of our faith directly. It was mostly just for fun. Never something we'd talk much about. But even in this year alone, we've seen significant growth in our relationships with God, which then bled over into our content. It's crazy because I was raised a Christian my whole life, but most of my life was lived under the title rather than the relationship. God has been changing my affections. Things I would never think about before are now coming up all the time for me. I love sharing my story and struggles with other people who I know are going through the very same things I was in the past. Listen to this. God is the only one who can satisfy us, seeing as he knows us even better than we know ourselves. That's a stronger statement of faith than you hear from a lot of Christians. And he is a famous YouTube personality. And it struck me as I read this interview, this was risky. 
This is a huge risk, having already built your brand and built your following to say, now, I'm gonna, now that I'm getting more serious about my personal faith, I'm going to work that into my content. I'm going to put that in my music. I'm going to put that out there in all the stuff that's, that's making my income right now. I'm going to risk all of that because in this world, any kind of public-facing environment, something where you've built up a following of people, it's risky to make that move. And yet he said, I'm going to go ahead and risk it. There's a cost to his faith and he's willing to pay it. In fact, he announced that he is going to start a Bible study channel. So he's going to try to get people interested in his content through all the fun stuff that he does, which is very entertaining. And then that's going to bleed over into, hey, check out my other channel, which is where we study the Bible. How cool is that? That's awesome. But that's risky. There's a cost to his faith. And that's what I want to leave you with today. As we think about the new year, I want, us to th- I want us to think about the cost of our faith. Because this is going to show up in how we can have faith over fear. There are some costs to our faith that are a little bit more obvious. Now, probably most of us are not dealing with the threat of physical harm or losing our lives because of our faith. But there are other costs to faith. There's the cost of job opportunities in some cases. There's certainly the cost of relationships And friendships, those are some of the more obvious ones, but I want us to go deeper than that. I want you to think about some of the other costs that you may not think about in the language of costs, but in in a way they really are. Let me give you some examples and you can probably think of your own. Here's a cost to your faith. No lies, even when it's really convenient. The cost of giving up speaking falsehood, even when it would seem to help you out in some way. Because it's dishonest, it's against the character of God, or it's bearing false witness against a neighbor. That's a cost to your faith. You give up dishonesty and having a faith and having a strong faith. What about the cost of gossip? No gossip against other people, even though it's juicy and even though it can be fun to participate in. And oh, did you hear about this? And why well, I heard it's because of that and rumors and assumptions and all that stuff. And you give that up if you have a faith in God, or you're supposed to. That's a cost of your faith. You don't get to participate in that anymore or listen to that from other people. You know, I don't want, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be a part of that. I'm not going to participate in that sin. What about the cost of not having good excuses to sin? We're very good at justifying our sin, aren't we? Coming up with the ends, justify the means because of this. No, that doesn't work in God's kingdom. If you're going to have a strong faith in God, you can't justify your sin because sin is sin no matter what. Even if you think the ends justify the means, it's not how it works with God. What about the cost of not having the right to worry? Even when there's lots of seemingly good reasons to worry, lots of things to be fearful about, to be anxious about. And yet the Bible says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, present your requests to God. Whatever you're anxious about, bring that to God. And then think about all these good things, pure, noble, of good report, all these good things. That you're to fill your mind with instead of worrying, instead of having anxiety. You give up that right to worry. Because after all, what is worry but a failure to trust in God for the outcome of something? And so a strong faith means I have have to pay this cost of not being able to worry. What about the cost of faith and not being able to have a pity party? I mean, who here loves a good pity party? right? Sometimes it just feels good. Oh, poor is me and you. We we wallow in our own self-pity. Let's be honest. Sometimes that feels good. But what is that? It's self-centered. It's egotistical. It's prideful. It's feeling like, well, I deserve better. I should have better. Oh man, the world's against me and everything's bad. You give up the right to a pity party. 
if you have a strong faith in God. That's a cost of your faith. What about the, the cost of not being able to have vengeance in your mind or bitterness in your heart? I can't wait till I can get back at them. I hope something bad happens to them. If you have faith in God, you, that's a cost. You give that up. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay it. God is the justice bringer, not us. We have no right to even demand it. That's up to God. We trust him for that. If we try to take it into our own hands, not in a lawful way, then we have said, well, we're going to play God and we're not going to allow him to be the justice bringer. That's a hard cost to pay to give up the bitterness that we may feel when we have been wronged. And yet that's exactly what God calls us to do, to forgive as we've been forgiven, just as Jesus forgave us. That's a cost of our faith. What about the cost of greed? Some people live for money. Money is an idol to them. You have to give that up if you're going to have a strong faith. What about the cost? Here's one we don't talk about a lot. And I waited till after Christmas to mention it. Gluttony. Shoving our face full of food. That's a biblical thing. That we're not supposed to make food an idol to us. That's a, that's a hard thing to do. I get it. There was a lot of good stuff on that table. We give up the right to make food our idol if we have a strong faith in God. You can't just look out for number one anymore. That's a cost of your faith. In fact, you come last. It's God, it's others, and it's you after that. Now, not that you don't take care of yourself. The Bible says that your body is a temple of the Lord as well. You do take care of yourself, but not for you, for him and for them. You take care of yourself so that you can serve God and so you can serve others. And, and you actually come last in that equation. Your desires come last in that equation. And so that's a cost of your faith. That you can't look out for number one anymore. You've got to put God first. You've got to put others second. You've got to put you last. You come third. These are costs to our faith. It might not be obvious. And I think we would rightly say, oh, those are, those are totally worth it. But let me ask you, are you willing to pay all those costs? Can you think back to this last year and realize, man, there were times where I was not willing to write that check because I wanted to hold on to that bitterness. Because I wanted to hold on to my idol. Because I wanted to have my pity party. Because I wanted to worry about whatever this was. Not that I wanted to worry about it, but I held on to it. I didn't trust God with it. Can you think of some times where you didn't pay the cost of your faith? What is this next year going to look like for you? Stephen's story is inspiring and it's moving. There were some people, and I, I talked with people after the first service who said they cried. When, when we read through that portion, because it's a, it's a moving piece. But you know, something that hits me, it, it seems almost like it's easier for us to think hypothetically about dying for our faith than it is for us to be willing to sacrifice in all the little ways that faith costs us to live for our faith. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do that in 2023 to say, I'm willing to pay all these costs and whatever else you've come up with in your mind, these costs of faith. It is so worth it but it is going to cost. And it's going to bring you to a point where your faith is so strong that you don't need to fear anything anymore. That's how you have faith over fear. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The one, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. My challenge for you this year 
is to follow in the footsteps of Stephen, to grow close in your walk with God, to be willing hands for ministry and service. Maybe last year wasn't good for that. Let's make this a good year for that, to get out there and to serve in all sorts of different ways. Maybe you don't even know how yet. Just try something. Maybe you don't know what your spiritual gift is. Try something and keep trying until you find what motivates you and energizes you. Speak the truth in all circumstances, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's inconvenient, and don't back down when you know it's God's truth, when there is a cost involved to living out and speaking God's truth. Don't back down from it, even to yourself, even telling yourself the truth. I really wanna do this thing. I really wanna feel this way. I really wanna think this way. No, God's word says this, and so I am gonna pay that cost to have a strong faith. That is how you overcome fear with faith. Would you bow your heads with me as we close our service today? God, this is a hard truth to live out because we look at a man like Stephen who had such a strong faith and it showed up in such a a, a powerful way, but we only have a snapshot of his life. And even these few little glimpses at Stephen's life and his walk with you and, and his ministry and how he gave his life for you, we just see this incredible example of a man who is sold out for you. And God, as we go into this new year and we think about how amazing you are, all that you've done for us, even between the services, some stories of life transformation, how you've worked in people's lives this last year. It's amazing. And we know you want to keep doing that and keep growing us and keep growing our faith. I pray that we would be willing to spend the time to walk close with you. I pray that we would be willing hands to serve you in all sorts of different ways, God. I pray that you'd help us to speak the truth. I pray that you'd help us to be willing to pay the costs of faith. Help us this year to have such a strong faith that fear will have no place with us. There are lots of reasons to be afraid in this world. There are lots of things if you watch the news or listen to podcasts or or just talk with people reasons to have anxiety, concern, and fear, but we don't need to have any of that, Lord. Help us to have a strong trust in you so that we don't need to have this spirit of fear, but to have your power, your grace, your love, the self-discipline to live the way we know you want us to live, not just because you tell us to, but also because it's better. It's gonna give us a better life. Help us to minister in your name, God. I pray you'd help all of us to do that this year. And Lord, as we close our service with a song now, we remember how good you are to us. All the things you've done for us, Lord. You have been faithful through everything this last year. We know you are gonna be faithful next year and many, many years to come, Lord. Help us to cling to that when times get tough, when we're tempted to throw in the towel and we're tempted to just give up and, and say, I don't even know what to do anymore, Lord. Help us to to lean heavily on your goodness. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.